We know that the whole Bible is from God. It's unique in the way that it's God-breathed. And yet at the same time, it's written by individual people and the stories and the truths are expressed through their personality and their character. Uh, and then some of it's historical, some of it's teaching, some of it's uh, poetry, some of it's allegory. And so uh, that keeps us busy, doesn't it, trying to interpret what the Bible says. But the whole of the Bible is from God. And uh, it's an incredible privilege that we have to, uh, to have it. And so we want to be able to read it daily. And sometimes that's easier than others, isn't it? But we want to read it, we want to meditate on it, we want to put it into practice, and we want to use it as, as our rule of life. You may have noticed, though, that although the whole of Scripture is God-breathed, that some of it's more interesting <laughs> or more helpful than other bits, and then understandable. more understandable, yeah. Um, and then there's the occasional little bit, you may have a life first, that just summarizes a truth in a way that just really captures that in such a helpful way. And there are some of those that are personal for us individually, and then there are some that are true just in the way that they capture the, the truth of what the Bible is trying to say. And, uh, uh, and they do that in a very helpful way. And an example of one, I don't know if you want to turn in your phones to John 3.16. You probably know that one, most of you. But uh, John 3.16 says, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Uh, such a, a great verse for capturing so much of the truth. You know, nowhere in the Bible does one verse capture everything. That's why we've got the whole Bible. But occasionally you come across verses like this that are amazing. And uh, this is one of the key passages that explains our faith. And it talks about God's love. It talks about relationship with him. Uh, it talks about Jesus' death, belief in him, and that leads to eternal life. So there's a huge amount there in that verse. But one of the things that struck me was that although this is a standard evangelical text that you may have heard uh, many times, it doesn't actually mention sin or the need to repent from sin. This is a, uh, a passage that is about relationship with God. Um, we saw a few months ago that the way church has expressed the good news has been significantly shaped by our culture and not just by what the Bible says. And it's important that we do that, that we express the truth that's in the Bible in a way that our culture can understand it. And we, we saw that the emphasis on sin and justice is largely a response to the Enlightenment and although it's definitely there in the Bible, and I'm not trying to take away from that at all, it's not the only way to explain the good news, and it's not the only part of the good news. So I'm not going to go over all of that again today, because we've done that. You can get the recording. Uh, email Ellie if you're not sure where to find it, um, and hopefully we'll find it for you. But uh, uh, when I was just starting to read the Bible for myself donkey's years ago, I read John 3.16 and I thought, eternal life, that sounds important, but what is it? 
Um, and uh, then I read another key passage which uh, answered the question. John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Simples. It's knowing God personally. Answered my question very simply. So eternal life isn't primarily something that's out there in the future, in eternity. It's relationship with God today. And so that's why we emphasize that. And so when it talks about knowing God, it means not just reading about God in a book and understanding the concept, but actually experiencing who he is. So, you know, we could, for example, we could do a, a series of seminars on windsurfing. And we could study the equipment, we could look at the wind, which is just conveniently picking up, we could understand the water and the tides and all that kind of thing. Uh, we could even have an exam if you wanted one and I could give you a, a certificate at the end to show that you now know everything there is to know about windsurfing. So you would know it. But it would only be when we got out on the water and you felt the board moving in the water and started to feel the wind in the sail and the board starting to move and how you all that interacts and then the, the board starting to plane and the excitement and, and the panic and the panic yeah the sheer panic when it picks up and you think how on earth do i control this thing that's going at 20 30 miles an hour anyway that's when you would really know what windsurfing is that's when you would really understand it and it's the same for us. It's when we experience God that we really start to understand who he is. We know God because we've experienced him and we have a relationship with him. We know about healing because we pray for the sick. We know about spiritual warfare because we encounter opposition and evil spirits and we know how to deal with them or we learn how to deal with them in Jesus' name. We know about compassion because we move out of our comfort zone to help those who are in need. We know about spiritual growth because we actively pursue spiritual maturity and quickly deal with things as God brings them to the surface. And so we know and we come to understanding of these things through our experience and not just because we've been to a seminar on them. Another passage that you may have heard that captures some important truths and if you've been part of an evangelical church you may, I wonder how many times you've heard it, uh, comes at the end of Matthew's account of Jesus' life. Some of you probably already got it going through your head. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. A very familiar passage for many of us. And I've heard this passage, and you may as well, have heard it used so many times in talks, but it struck me recently that almost without exception, it misses, or the talks have missed, one of the most important aspects that are in this little bit that Jesus said. And I wonder if you spotted that as we read through it, because Jesus said to go and make disciples. 
and when Jesus said that many people have assumed it means to go and do evangelism that scary thing um, and to bring people to church or to plant churches and that hope that disciples would come from people coming along to church and although those are good things to do that isn't actually what Jesus said in this passage well, people have assumed that it means that we should go and tell everybody about Jesus, whether they're interested or not, or that we should pray more or worship more, or, you know, people would come to faith as a result of those things. And as good as all those things are, and as important as all those, all those things are, that's not actually what Jesus said in these verses. Because Jesus uses a different word here for discipleship than he uses for evangelism. And uh, the word of, that we translate evangelism, uh, euangelizo, it means to give somebody good news, which is much less scary than that, the E word. You know, good news, the war's over, your parking ticket has been cancelled, you have a tax refund. You know, these, these things are good news. We're not scared of telling somebody that kind of thing. In the first century, to be a disciple was to follow a rabbi or teacher and to become like them in every way. To follow their way of life, to take on their teachings, their beliefs, to become an imitator of them in all things. And that's what Jesus' followers were seeking to do as they followed him. They didn't always quite get it right, did they? Wanting to call down fire from heaven on people and... You know, not quite showing the love and mercy that God had planned, but, but because they were trying to follow Jesus, we call them the Twelve Disciples, and the Bible refers to them as disciples, but it refers to lots of other people as disciples as well. But their aim was to become like Jesus in everything. And so one of the last things that Jesus said to them in these verses is, in effect, now that you've become good followers good disciples, go and do that for everybody else as well. It's very hard to lead somebody somewhere that we haven't been ourselves. And that's why eternal life, which is knowing Jesus personally, is so foundational to everything. When we know Jesus, when we've responded to him by surrendering our lives, by becoming like him in everything, by becoming good disciples, then we're ready to lead other people to that place as well. But you only need to be one step ahead of people to be able to lead them somewhere. So don't, uh, don't expect that you have to be perfect before you can do any of this. So I think there are two aspects of this which I've put as two questions. The first one, am I becoming a good disciple? So I think that's the first thing we can easily take from this. Am I becoming a good disciple? So over the last year, because it's difficult sometimes to see the daily changes, but over the last year, over a period of time, how have I become more like Jesus in my day-to-day -day life? What aspects of my character have changed? Uh, what about my emotional responses when things don't go the way I want them to? What about my obedience to the Bible? Uh, have I spiritually matured? Have these things changed? Has it really made a difference in my life? 
I think that one of the most important ways of engaging with this process of spiritual growth starts with reading the Bible every day. Not just reading it and forgetting it, not just reading it as a, you know, almost a speed reading exercise to get through it so that we can get on with the important things during the day, although I know it sometimes can feel like that. But by meditating on it deeply, by allowing the truth to come deep into our lives, moving from head knowledge to a heart encounter with God. And that's why I recommend the Bible meditations that we use and I've put together a series of Bible passages for us to be able to use like that because I've found that that has been transformational for me. They take half an hour, so maybe that you can't do that every day. That's okay, just do it when you can. But see if you can get some Bible into you every day. And, uh, you know, come back to it during the day, think about it, meditate on it, and so on. So that was the first question, am I becoming a good disciple? The second one is, how am I doing at making disciples? This is so important that Jesus saved this, this statement up to be one of the last things that he said to his followers before returning to heaven. You know, he saved the real gem, the really important thing, right to the end. And I believe this is so important that we're going to spend this autumn looking at how to make disciples. And so I would like to invite you all to come here on a Thursday evening at 7.30. We'll start in two weeks' time, so open question evening this week and then the following week at 7.30. We'll spend about eight weeks looking at how to make disciples. And in the process, hopefully, we'll become better disciples ourselves as well. And then after we've done it, I'd like to spend a few weeks putting it into practice with each other in a safe place so that we can use the discovery studies, which are one of the key aspects of it, and that we would become comfortable at being able to do it ourselves so that when we get to do that with other people, it's, it's less scary. And we've done that with other things, haven't we? We've done that with uh, learning to pray for healing so that we get comfortable doing it together in settings like this so that then when we get the opportunity out in the marketplace to pray for the sick that we know how to do it and it's not quite so scary as it would have been otherwise. One of the key things that we'll see in this is that the process that we're looking at begins with making disciples before people come to faith rather than the assumption that we've had before, that we have to get people to say yes to Jesus and then the discipleship process starts. Um, so they become a disciple, then they come to faith in Jesus, then we introduce them to church. And that seems to be a much more natural pathway and certainly is there in the Bible, we'll have a look at that as well. And we'll see why things like that and other principles are so important. For those of you who have children, I would encourage you, if possible, to find a babysitter so that you can both come. If transport is a challenge for you, then uh, you have time, a couple of weeks, to find a way to be able to share transport so that it's easier for you to come. As far as I can tell, this discipleship process we'll be looking at fits perfectly with what the Bible says. It's not the only way 
but I think it's the way that God is giving us and so I want us to become familiar with it, to understand it and then to move from just understanding it with our heads to actually putting into practice so that we're comfortable with doing it. Um, and it may challenge some of the assumptions that we've had before. And even if you've been through the material before, come and do it again because you'll find there are all sorts of things that you'll pick up second or third time round. My hope is that as we grow as disciples and grow in our understanding of Jesus' teaching, uh, that we will also grow in developing our skills as being disciple makers as well. We know that the Bible is unique, it's God-breathed, and so we will look at what God has to say about discipleship, about how we can reach our friends and family in a way that is culturally sensitive, that maybe we need to let go of some of the things that we've learned to do before because culture has changed and they're no longer so appropriate, they don't fit quite as well as they used to. You know, they may have been great at one time, but they don't work so well now. But it shows us how to present the good news in a way that people can understand easily and respond. So this Thursday evening, open question evening, uh, you're all warmly invited to that one, and then we'll start our study on discipleship the following week, the 14th of September. Uh, the course is called The Habits of a Multiplying Disciple, so don't be confused by the different titles that we've been using. But they are habits that we hope to be able to build in as good disciples uh, to help us make disciples. So any questions on any of that, do let me know. Um, but I hope that we can learn this together and, uh, and pull together this term.